Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 56. Now, I say every week we have a very interesting guest, and it's actually two guests this week, but I really do mean it's interesting because it's something that I know nothing about. So, I mean, you probably think I bring a lot of guests on, and you're like, Wallace, you don't know what you're talking about, and that would absolutely be correct. But today we really have a, a subject like that. So we're going across the pond today. We're obviously in the UK. Uh, we're heading over to Canada, as I terribly said last week, Canada, which was very embarrassing. And um, we'll just try and pretend that didn't happen. Uh, but I want to welcome on Brian and Mandy of the Riverside Bog Cranberry Farm. Brian, Mandy, if you'd like to say hello, guys. Hey. Hey, how are you? Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2 cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer a weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry. Whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry, the Scottish farmers got it for you. So I have been strictly instructed, uh, <laughs> strictly instructed uh, that my accent is quite hard to, to understand. So I'll do my best to be in my best behavior uh, to make sure I can be heard well. Um, and yes, I'll try not to embarrass myself on that side. So if there's any blank looks from Mandy and Brian's side, we know why that is. <laughs> um, I said Cranberry Farm. Now, I said that at the start, and uh, you're probably, a lot of you listeners are thinking, normally we've got someone that's working with beef or sheep or dairy or whatever. It's things that are relatively common here in the UK. This is obviously not common here in the UK, and I, for that reason, really look forward to this. So let's start off before we even get into cranberry farming. Um, were both of you in cranberry farming your whole life? Were you from a farm or uh, the farm you're on? What no, well, Heads are shaking, so let's hear that story. Okay, so I did grow up on a farm. Uh, so I'm 48 years old, and, and I was born into a farming family. My grandfather, when he immigrated from from Holland, he started out uh, doing what most Dutchmen do, which was drain wetland and turn it into farmland. And from that, he progressed into dairy. Um, my dad always had dairy and hogs. Uh, when he did sell his his dairy, he he got into cranberries, which started kind of my interest in cranberries as well. Uh, I did spend a bit of time outside of our own home farm, working on other dairy farms, did a lot of relief milking. Uh, but yeah, somehow we ended up in Cranberries and we're loving it. It's a great life. Yeah, to kind of, for me, I have no farming background. <laughs> I just yeah. married the farmer. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, now I, I have a card that actually says I'm a farmer on it. So yeah. I, I guess I'm legit, but <laughs> <laughs> I have my background is actually teaching. I uh, am a yeah, teacher by trade, but I'm actually not really teaching anymore, doing more of the farming stuff. So, yeah. Was that was that teaching like elementary or was that teaching a specific yeah. subject? Yeah, no, yeah. elementary school. Yeah, yeah. And then, yes. Look, yeah, look at me using the right line. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We're keeping track of how many times you get it right today. And by the way, he's not. I don't know. <laughs> When you said 48, I was like, you look very young for 48. Because um, uh, I shaved but, this morning. Imagine how you would look if you that? took your I shaved this morning, right? I had to look my best. I'll be you honest, right? Your job too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. When, when Maddie and I first started emailing, um, 
I thought there was a mention of a bearded man. And I was like, where is he? Where's he going? <laughs> I'll give you the background to that. So I went on holidays a couple of weeks ago and I tend to let myself go a little bit when I'm out in the bush. So when I got back, we, we're coming into really hot weather here. It's it's 10 o'clock in the morning and it's 30 degrees already. So having a big beard, not, not a fan. It's just too hot, too itchy. So I maybe grow back in the fall, but. How, how big are we talking here? How big are we talking? Oh, no, nothing like you. Nothing like you. No, my brother has a beard like you. Yeah, my brother could oh, double. Uh, actually, my brother and my brother-in-law, they both could, could double as uh, as Vikings. One of them looks exactly like Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I could quite say I look like that, but um, I'll be honest, I, I sort of, before I do a podcast, you know, the day before I start coming up with things I'm going to say and that sort of thing. And one of the things I was ready to do was sort of, act out like a boxing match you know in one corner we have the scottish beard we have you know now it just looked like an idiot <laughs> it just looked like an idiot yeah. um, oh, you, you win i'll just, I'll just let you take <laughs> this this is not this is not a, a competition of manlyhood we do not just get into that okay uh, it's, it's, a, it's a discussion for for another day with, with a few more whiskeys um it's funny i say whiskey as if i'm really cool and drink whiskey i drink porn star martini but we can pretend um just while you said the temperature there i thought i'd quickly look up what temperature we were at at the minute we're sitting at 16 and i found today pretty bloody warm <laughs> yeah um, right now yeah 16 16 that's that same six in the evening so that was maybe 18 a few hours ago but uh yeah that's we're not cut out for the heat how long how long have you got that heat in canada then how how many months of the year oh i um, it, honestly usually it's only for a couple of weeks that we get the really hot it like plus 30 uh this yeah. year's been a weird, really weird yeah. year um i don't know if you followed the news at all but we had last november we had really heavy flooding here heavy heavy rain took out all the highways out here i mean we literally were sitting here with the, the city of vancouver completely landlocked there was no right. no route in or out. Yeah, trucks couldn't get out. And yeah, it was it was, crazy. it was insane, and we're just actually you know just being able to get out of the valley now on our holidays, and we're seeing the damage from that. And then we came into right. rain. We had, yeah. I mean, we had rain that was almost biblical here for five months. Yeah. It was it was wet basically up till June, yeah. like. Yeah. It was so, long. so for farmers, that's never good, right? So all the crop planting was delayed. All the dairy guys out here, their, their corn was probably three weeks late in the ground. Um, the blueberry guys are really struggling getting a crop this year because it went from cold and wet with poor pollination to right now super hot. So the fruit's literally um, ripening overnight and falling off the plants. But the cranberries are surviving. They, they like the water. Um, uh, bloom was a little bit stretched out so probably a couple weeks late but this heat should catch everything up and the crop looks looks like it's going to come along really well this year good good uh, it's um i mean we all know cranberries like water <laughs> it's, it's a it's one of those things isn't it and and you know we'll, we'll get into sort of how how the whole cranberry system works in a wee bit but i'm i'm gonna I'm going to have quite a few questions, so I apologise in advance for that. But we've been talking a bit about accents. There's one thing I have to mention. I love what you just did, a Canadian saying out. It is just brilliant. I love that little accent. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I'm not even going to try it because I'm embarrassed. So I'll sound like an owl, but uh, yeah, love it. <laughs> I, all I said was out. You like that yeah, word? I out? love it. I'm, oh, it's 
funny. It's quite funny how you like you know you just you have your own accent and you're so used to it being whatever and like then you guys really I don't have a clue what you're saying and fair enough I talk pretty quick um, which I'm, I'm conscious of sometimes but see that really sort of harsh weather that intense rain is Canada kitted out for that or is that you know just something that they can't even deal with or are you used to that sort of thing it's been pretty extreme in the last couple of years but like last year we had what was called a heat dome i don't know if you guys heard that term well you guys have it right now don't you no what's going on in london right now oh right so it's just like a sort of like a heat wave type thing so yeah uh, no, it was it, it was, was like 40 plus yeah degrees. we hit uh we hit 40 44 degrees one day yeah that was last summer yeah and it was terrible for a lot of the crops around here. All the blueberries and the raspberries, they got hit really hard because it was like harvest time for them. Yeah. We, um, we even thought in our fields. Yeah. Our rot percentage was up yeah, significant quite a lot. Of rot because of the heat. It just cooked the berries. Yeah. Um, did you say, so that did was, you say rot, rot percentage? Yeah. yeah. Rot. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Damaged fruit, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're basically squishy berries that are you know we're they're going out with the trash like they're not yeah pre-cooked right on the vine (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. 46 degrees no wonder it's quite funny i mean the uk is a bit of a laughing stock (laughs) rightly so uh you know if we get a temperature over 22 like the country goes on fire and (laughs) you know we we don't know how to deal with that i mean london literally was been burning that day and it was something like i heard uh you know the fire the the fire service gets called out 500 times on a busy day in London a busy day and it was something like three and a half thousand that day and uh, yeah we, we don't know how to deal with weather you know? like, wow. uh, yeah, it was know. really bad here too because people were like actually dying from it too um we had it was it was terrible they they had yeah. ambulances that were backed up and they could they couldn't get it out there like people were literally elderly mostly obviously people who were for sure uh, yeah. at risk it was terrible but anyway so back to the point <laughs> That was that extreme last year in the summer. And then we had that extreme in the fall, which we get flooding. I mean, we live on a river here, so we get fresh at rivers like water every year. So that's nothing new, but this was extreme. So to put it in perspective, right now, we had about 150% of the normal snow up on the mountains. And it all came down over the last two months, month and a half. So the, which is normal, right? That, that happens. So the, the Fraser river, which is the major river in, in our side of the country, it comes up to flood levels. So last November when we had that heavy rain, so that the Fraser river does this over a month and a half, it peaks at a high point and then it slowly goes down after that. Last year, when we had that rain in November, it did it in two days. It reached the same levels. It was stunning to watch. I don't know, an uncalculable amount of water rising by a foot an hour. Yeah, like it was incredible. Thankfully, you our never farm. Think- Sorry, man. Do you want to go? On you go. I don't know. Oh, I was just gonna say we're in a dike area, so we're actually in a better position than across from us. Like they are outside of the dike, so for the most part, we're not really at risk. Like we were a little concerned last year because we were like, if it had gone, I don't know, a meter or two higher, then we could have had some issues. But but there were farms further up that the dikes actually broke and yeah, they, they flooded it's out. Full on flooded. They yeah. and it was a huge agricultural area too. All the dairy farms, dairy, and chickens, chickens yeah. hogs, like it was lots. 
it was stunning. You know, it's, it's kind of once in a lifetime thing that you're going to see. Well, yes, it's true what you say. It's, it's, no, but you're right, because we had a thing, 2013, we had this massive snow. <laughs> well, in fairness to you, it would have been a, you know, a drop, but <laughs> we thought it was insane. And, uh, you know, albeit it decimated livestock in the area and that sort of thing, it was gorgeous to see, you know? And I think that is the case. You have to take a step back, no matter how bad these things are, and think, you know what? I'm seeing water rise at a foot, foot an hour, like you said. Like, that's almost incomprehensible. You can't, you can't, think you know can't fathom that you know um no. so it's, it's it's quite cool to consider uh wait so what where where exactly in canada are you guys for everyone listening well vancouver's our closest um, like major city um so we're kind of east of vancouver and it's called the fraser valley uh it's more of like suburbs and more it's not quite rural but uh we can be at the ocean in like 35 minute drive. Yeah. And then the mountains are kind of surrounding the valley. So we're kind of in a lower lying area right on the coast. But then, yeah, you basically will hit the mountains if you drive like 45 minutes and out. Yeah. So we actually have like, if we look out of our bedroom window here, we can see, you know, part of the, the uh, volcanic chain of mountains running all the way from the Pacific Northwest, all the glaciers or all the uh, volcanic peaks running down into yeah. the U.S. We're, we're yeah, literally like we're on the border too. 15 minutes from the U.S. border, yeah. just just north of the oh, U.S. Okay. Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. So we're tucked right in the bottom corner of B.C. Yeah. Got you. Got you. So so two questions on that, I guess. Is, is that when you're talking about that sort of uh, volcanic range, is that is that part of the, oh, what's the name? Oh, there's a song that's terrible. The Ring of right. Fire. Is that in that line? Or is that yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, the Pacific and, Rim. What was that? Sorry, I think it's called the Pacific Ring of Fire or Rim of Ring. Yeah, Pacific, it's, oh, it's the ring. It's the, the ring, ring of, of fire. fire. Yeah, so you got like mountains like Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens Mount St. was Helen. the first in like yeah. the 80s. Yeah, and then they run, yeah. they run across the, the Pacific right down yeah. through to like Japan and around. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's mm-hmm. right. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very cool. So, so you can see that from where you are. Yeah, yeah. Stunning on some days. Mount yeah. Baker is the closest one to us. Yeah, it's just in it's yeah, in the U.S., but just across. And, and then, then the there's last mountains are kind of where B.C. has. Like we're not so like we don't have oh, no. super high. Fifteen peaks. minutes up the road, we're already in the. In the but mountains. yeah, like Whistler is really close to us too. It's a couple hours away. Yeah. yeah. So we go and skiing our- in the winter and all that. Oh, fantastic. Oh, it's one thing I've never done is, and to be honest, it's one of those things I'd like to do, but I know I'd injure myself. Um, <laughs> I've got that sort of... <laughs> just, all right, great. That's a nice day. Oh, no, I broke my leg. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Um, it, it's, it's quite interesting. You guys have got that site of probably relatively active volcanoes because I quite often say on the podcast, it's a bit of a fun fact, the farm that I've been brought up on, my mum and dad's farm, uh, is, is on a volcano. But I mean, it's not like not like St. Helens, it's not going to go tomorrow or anything like that, you know, it's it's uh, it's been dead for however long, but uh, how how likely is it for there to be an eruption in you guys' vicinity? Very not likely. No, it's like a sleeping giant, they always say, like... I've seen Baker vent a little a bit, times. Um, yeah. but they watch, ever since Mount St. Helens, the U.S. Meteorological Society, they watch those things like a hawk, right, because more and more people are, are moving into the areas that will be affected. There's, there's more and more development on the slopes, like, like agriculture, especially because typically the volcanic areas are quite rich in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in good soil. Um, they watch all that stuff. So most of them are, 
most of them being dormant. Mount St. Helens erupted in 80. No, no, 80. In 1980. Yeah. My parents got married the day before it blew. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, they're driving on their honeymoon and drove right in that area and everything got covered in ash. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, when it goes off like that, it doesn't happen again for a long time. It takes a long time sure. to build that back up, right? So, and we're, we're far enough away. Yeah, it's not really on our radar, I wouldn't say at all. We just like like the mountains. We like It's just gorgeous to look beautiful. at. Yeah. It has snow on it year-round. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's a stunning, stunning view. Oh, well, I, after after this podcast, I'm going to ask you guys for like a sort of some kind of landscape photo and what I call farming setting uh, for, for the, the sort of, for the YouTube. Um, and uh, yeah, when you're doing that, if you could send me a photo of that, I'd love to see that. That'd be really cool. Um, yeah. I will. I if will reciprocate with a boring one. <laughs> Wallace, Wallace, if you if you just Google the Bog Riverside cranberries and just look at some of the pictures that people have posted on on our Google, yes. link, you'll see all kinds of the stuff that's uh, around. Yeah, here. like if you Google, but, us. yeah, yeah. Lots of visitors have posted pictures right on our on our uh, okay. on our Google page. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's cool to check out. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, do well, do and um. I always like because because when there's something slightly different, I always like to sort of hold off, and it almost it makes people watch the podcast for longer. So there's one thing I want to get into before we jump into cranberries, and that's um, you mentioned uh, about your family in in Holland, Brian. Was that was that your grandparents, your parents? I, I can't remember. Was it? Yeah. Um, so, so both sets of grandparents immigrated from Holland. Um, my mom was actually born in Holland. She was five. I think five when okay. they're immigrated. Yeah. So yeah. So, and Mandy's parents as well are. My both, grandparents on both sides are also Dutch. Yeah, so. Dutch background as well. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's funny for, for you guys listening. I mentioned about the accent earlier, and it, Brian compared it to when he went out to Holland and struggling to understand folk. And I'm like, it's a different language. Is my accent really that bad? <laughs> no, no. Okay, here I got a better comparison for you. I got a good friend who's an Australian, and when he lays it on thick. Like if his brother comes from Australia and they start going on and, and put a couple drinks into him, it's I might as well just sit back and watch because I can't understand a word, <laughs> not a word. <laughs> it's it's the stage of pure inevitability. Like yeah, there's nothing there. Um, yeah. In fairness, I think that's just Australians with a drink in them. But that's the probably. And as I listen to you, I'm starting to understand it. I'm not getting hung up on on any words no. now. It, it just took a little bit. When all I'm hearing is the Canadian English, and all of a sudden you get a Scotsman talking, it's it's quite sure. a different. Yeah. yeah, well, and also, and as you'll know, as you'll know, Brian, the beard muffles the voice as well, so uh, that's that's yeah. part of it too. Um, you mentioned you mentioned, and this is this has been a massive interest to me ever since I was a kid. My mum would tell me about this. Uh, you know, they sort of would drain land, and 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 the Dutch were the first to sort of reclaim reclaim sea ground is it Zyder Z it was called um no that's the yeah, that right? yeah, yeah. yeah um and, and we went to there with a uni trip I studied agriculture at university and, and we went there when we went to Holland and and to see the place was really interesting I thought the tourist center was a, was a great letdown but the actual place was really interesting and you said your 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 parents brought that to to Canada so how did that how did that come in was that sort of reclaiming poor land is that is that what you made it his was, grandparents. Yeah. yeah, my grandparents. So grandparents, my grandfather, yeah, yeah he, he came out on his own before he'd even met my grandmother. And uh, I think he emigrated in 19, 
40, 47 or 48, right after right. the war. So he came out and he worked for a, a Dutchman who was already out here draining what, what we call bog land, which is essentially marshes. So we've got all these, this entire area out here is, is full of creeks and rivers. And it's, it's essentially the Fraser Valley is, is the delta for the Fraser River. Mm-hmm. So it used to flood in year in, year out. And the Fraser River is huge. I mean, on an average year, it's moving like 5,000 cubic meters of water per second. So picture that when all the snow melts and comes down and it's just flooding out. So it, it created this entire network of creeks and rivers, but it's the richest farmland you'll ever find. So mm-hmm. <laughs> these Dutchmen came out and they looked at it and they saw a challenge. So they, uh, they took over actually where the, the Canadian army Corps of engineers failed. They, the Canadian army couldn't get the, the land to drain property because it's actually all, Peatland. It's all peatland, and it's all pretty much at sea level. So it's it's yeah. essentially everything has to run on a network of pumps. So the Dutchman came in; they had all this history already, and they just flew at it. And so he worked at that for several years, and uh, and that land right now. So we call it the pit polder here. Polder is essentially a Dutch. a reclaimed. It's a Dutch word for a reclaimed wetland. Okay. And uh, that area, pit polder, um, it's it's all agriculture now. And a lot of cranberries. Yeah, there's yeah. there's thousands of acres of cranberries out there. There's there's thousands of acres of blueberries and still a few operating dairy farms and uh, uh, nurseries, greenhouses, stuff like that. Yeah. So then he bought dairy farms? No, he started working as a herdsman for another another farm. And uh, he won a whole bunch of awards. Really? Yeah, he was actually good at it. Oh. Oddly enough. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Great. I really need to be here. Mandy, you can continue the interview. You probably get better questions. <laughs> you know how you think this you know is, someone and yeah. then you're like, wow, okay. Well, I, I read the book. Oh, there's a book. No. Yeah, there's a whole history. Of, oh, is that the one? Yeah, Farming in the Fraser oh, Valley. And my one. grandfather's mentioned in there a bunch of times because okay. he won some awards for these high producing cattle yeah. that he was managing. And then he started up on his own farm and, and somewhere in there he had gone back to Holland and met my grandmother and he came back, proposed to her through the mail, and she flew out here. Just uh, barely knew the guy, right? And uh, yeah, and there it happened. My that's your mom, your dad's side. My dad's side. mom's side. They were chicken. When did they start that? Uh, I, don't, I don't actually know as much about what they did when they came out here, because I know he he did. He bought a farm. He did have chickens, and then he sold that for a lot of money already back then. And he started up uh, that truck equipment oh, business yeah. and the hydraulic equipment that my brother actually owns today, which right. has grown into a, a very large corporation. Like they have 50 employees now. Oh, so wow. that's, that's been in the family now since 1975. And did you say that was hydraulics they were in? Yeah, they do like attachments for excavators and then they also do truck truck bodies like work trucks for the municipalities and and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of a lot of um heavy industry stuff too, mining, forestry, all those things. Yeah. Which which will that that'll be massive in, in your area, I assume. You know, all, all the shows that we see over here is 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 set where you guys are and yeah. Um well, I'll be honest. I love the genealogy lesson. Uh, it was it was great fun, and it, it, it seemed Mandy like you learned something too. 
Well, that was and, when this is parents farm too so i mean like yeah. it's definitely a gen like his family's been very involved in agriculture yeah farming i i took what the heck no i i took i think maybe a year of all the years that i worked that i did not work on a farm because even oh, really? when i traveled yeah even when i traveled to holland i spent a year in holland i still worked in a greenhouse growing, uh, tomatoes. growing tomatoes which i absolutely hate <laughs> I hate tomatoes. Just <laughs> the you hate tomatoes? I know. I love. Them. I know. Me yeah. too. So annoying. I don't know. I just. <laughs> He'll eat like his favorite soup is tomato soup, and he okay. like passed. It's like everything but the actual raw tomatoes. I hate raw soup. tomatoes. Are gross. <laughs> is is that by any chance because you were sickened by them in Holland, or you hate <laughs> tomatoes? No, right from day one. I, I can remember my parents had a garden on the farm here, and. I can remember standing there looking at a row of these little cherry tomatoes, all bright red and ripe and ready to eat. And I'm like, I have to try these things again because it had been so long since I, since I told myself I hated them. And I can remember putting one in my mouth and almost throwing up. <laughs> I was probably 10 years old. So since that day, I won't touch a raw tomato. Well, fair enough, fair enough. It's good to know what you do and don't like. But it, it, do you know, Holland, Holland's always interested me. It's that like we're talking about there, the land reclamation and, just the the sheer size of the horticulture horticultural side and the flower side and that and yeah it's, it's quite something to be honest but we're we're not here to talk about uh, to talk about holland we are here to talk about cranberries which if you're listening you'll have seen in the title and we've mentioned it a couple of times throughout uh, but it has taken us 25 minutes to get to because i'm a, a genius for getting used to wait around um <laughs> Why did you jump into cranberries? There we go. You, your, your family were doing dairy. Why did they go to cranberries? Okay, so I think that's that's a bit twofold answer there. Um, so okay. I was I was working on a dairy farm uh, just up the road from my my home farm where I, where I grew up, and across the road there was 160 acres of of marsh, like literally wet land where you know you ride a horse through there and you might not come out the other side that kind of wet and and i'm sure you know i mean you guys have bogs out there too right i'm, I'm guessing some of them are pretty treacherous places well do you know it's quite interesting you say that and, and sorry to interrupt you just quickly brian but this is number 56 on r2cast 52 we actually spoke to a girl amy who who they farm a marsh here in the uk and they're farming a beef system so it's going to be really interesting to see the the, the two systems on the same ground and her, one of her descriptions was you could take the quad over it and not come out the other side so it was the exact same thing you've just said but this is yeah. really cool to sort of see the comparison and those are the challenges right I, uh, just before this we sat down for this podcast i was over at my neighbors just chatting to him he has a blueberry farm and he's actually in a true peat field like peat bog and right. this poor guy he says i was out here till one o'clock this morning trying to unstick his blueberry harvester and yesterday when we drove by there, he had a tractor that was, you know, buried halfway up the wheels. So he's in he's in the true peat. Now we call our farm a bog, but it's not. This is we have really nice organic black topsoil here with clay and river sand underneath it. And we actually put down six inches of sawdust or 15 centimeters for those of you on a different system. 15 centimeters of sawdust. We're Mexico over here, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. We are new, but we're, we're close enough to the US yeah. that most people talk metric. They don't, you don't, if you talk metric to them, they don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. We do everything <laughs> in, inches and feet here. 
So those Americans you have to convert. Yeah. yeah. So you know, getting back to starting, I watched I watched the the wetland across the road as I worked on this dairy farm for three years. I watched them turn it from a, a forested piece of wetland into a cranberry farm, and it fascinated me. So at that point, I had already looked into cranberries just to understand a little bit about what they were, and at the same time my dad had come to me and my two brothers and said, Hey, are you guys interested in taking over this farm one day? And we basically said, no, we didn't want to deal with. They didn't want to do dairy. Yeah. We didn't want to do dairy. I mean, it was just one of those things we had already, my brother was already kind of on a different path and, and my younger brother was too young to even know what we were talking about. So it was more, we just said, you know, dad, do what you want to do. And 30 days later, the cows and the quota were gone. He literally just he sold. He really? sold out. Yeah, so I guess it was on his mind already, and he would have stuck with it if if we had said yes. Uh, at the same time, the neighbor was selling his farm, so I think the opportunity would have been we would have bought the neighbor and expanded the farm. But so with that, um, via via, we heard that uh, Ocean Spray, which anybody who knows about cranberries will have heard the name Ocean Spray. We heard that they were looking for new acres uh, for planting in this area. And that works on a quota system where they give you the, the acreage quota. So you can plant, let's say, if you say you want to do 25 acres, they'll give you those acres. You can't plant more than that, uh, but they will take whatever yield you give off of that land. So, okay. yep. yeah, so my dad had, all he did was sold the cows and the quota. He still had all the land. So we took a 20 acre piece of farmland and we turned it into a cranberry farm and thus started our. And that's like 1998. That or was 99? in 99. 99. We started. Yeah. We planted there and that started our, you know, last 20 some odd years of learning. And but that was his farm because our farm didn't start till 2009, 10, 10. kind of started. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was so part of two cranberry farms. Three. There's actually three because my younger brother, he, yeah, he also farms just down the road. We all, we all farm together in a sense. Like if we sharing equipment, yeah, if we need a hand helping each other. Yeah. yeah. We definitely harvest. Like my dad, my dad's 72 this year and he still like spends the whole day up on the equipment. He drives all the, all He's the, the he takes the truck in to, to deliver the fruit every, every load. Right. Yeah. 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 He, he's a, he's a farmer through and through. Like he loves it. He's still heavily involved in agriculture, more at a, a government level now. Yeah. So, oh, really? Right. Yeah. He's like the yeah. <laughs> on the politician side. Of yeah, it's, it's it's quite interesting because he has Whoa. no formal training. He has no formal training in in any of this stuff. Right. It's just a lifetime of experience that has has led people in in the government, like even our Ministry of Agriculture, that the the top levels they actually come to him for information. I mean. But that's because he's also, he, I don't know if he's chairing that anymore, but he was uh, chair of the Canadian Pork Council. Oh yeah, he still is. Is he? Okay. Yeah. And then he was involved right. in like investment for agriculture. So like projects IF, right? Yep. And then also, yeah, Cranberry Commission, which is another organization. Yep. So lots of connections. And he's a very personable guy, like charismatic. We always joke that when dad goes somewhere, he knows somebody. He, he knows. Like literally anywhere you go. <laughs> Like it's so weird. <laughs> this guy knows everybody. It is incredible. He'll, or he'll find somebody. <laughs> he's got oh, these sure. stories. He's got these stories. They're hilarious. He'll be like, they like traveling as well. My parents, they travel all over the world. So he'll be walking through the airport in Melbourne, Australia, and somebody will, he'll recognize somebody that he's worked with years ago. 
<laughs> just, just random weird stuff like that, right? You, you get a photo like that, don't you? And the, the farming community is great for it. But I mean, it's not quite as much a comparison as going to Melbourne from Canada. But one funny one was a guy that I worked with. Um, I, I'm on Arran Island off the coast of Scotland, but I, I live on the mainland when I'm teaching throughout term time. And uh, one of the guys I worked with, I was just coming over the boat and I started chatting to him. And his daughter goes, oh, Dad, can we not go anywhere without you knowing someone? And that sounds <laughs> so like you're old. Man. Um, it's a good one so so are we looking uh, with yourselves to a future uh, Minister of Agriculture is policy a thing you could see either of yourselves going into I think her sister has the potential to be there she's like four four positions below that right now but um, wow yeah Yeah. so both sides of her family have quite a strong connection to agriculture she just didn't grow up in it no, although she, you guys. she was over at our house often enough when she was younger that she might as well have grown yeah. up on the farm. Our, our stories like where the it's the classic girl next door kind of thing. I was best friends with his younger sister growing up, so right. Okay, yeah. well, I was I was actually just about to ask when you mentioned that you know you guys started your part in 2010 and it was 1999 how you sort how you met and it wasn't quite a you know sending a letter to Holland type deal. It was it was right next door, so. Uh, so you have always known each other, yeah? Pretty, Pretty much. much since yeah. I was probably like six, five or six. Then, yeah. Right. yeah. I didn't notice her because she was like I'm quite a bit younger than yeah. him. So, yeah, I had to grow, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good you didn't notice till 18 that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There's another story. I won't go into it. But he oh. moved to Holland for another girl. I was, so, I was in Holland say. for another girl, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh no right okay so let's talk about cranberries uh, <laughs> let's not open any old wounds here right <laughs> yeah no exactly good god um so cranberries i did say i was gonna have a lot of daft questions and i do mean that can you just so right let me explain this question before i make a complete fool of myself because i'm an agricultural lecturer but uh just don't have a clue about this um you see these pictures, the ocean spray adverts, that sort of thing, you know, cranberries in a river and they're catching it with the logs and all that sort of jazz. Could you tell me the full process from seed to harvest? Because I just do not know how it happens. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. First thing, cranberries do not grow in water. That's the number one. I, think Everybody. You, I, assumed, you said, I assumed that part. That was all I had. Said, that was all I had. <laughs> Didn't you say river? What's that? Did you say river? Did I say growing river? I didn't mean growing river. I meant like you see the videos of them the moving in the water and I don't okay. really know. All right. So, so just so you know, we run tours on our farm, so there's no real dumb cranberry question because we've heard them all. Pretty much. That's why okay? I was like, number one. So, so don't feel like you're asking me something that somebody hasn't asked me before. Yeah. Okay. All right. So start to finish. Um, most important thing about cranberry farm is flat land. If you're going to harvest with water, you need flat land. So, you know, we took we took 40 acres of land here. And we took a laser leveling equipment to it and we put it all into flat sections. The whole farm isn't the same elevation, 
We have different mm -hmm. stages for, for fields simply because the topography allowed us to do that. But uh, that's the first thing. We started with flat land. Then we, we diked it all, you know, because when we harvest with water, you have to keep it in, in the field that you're harvesting. Um, drainage is key. Irrigation. Then we covered everything with six inches of sawdust and we did a bunch of different types of planting. We did some where we took cuttings and just rototilled it into the sawdust and, and let it grow that way. We did some where we had pre-grown plugs uh, for, from propagation and we stuck them in already rooted. Uh, that was by far the nicest field to work with because it, the plants were all healthy and uniform. It wasn't a bit of a crapshoot as to whether some of it would survive and some of it wouldn't like, like we had with the rototilling. And, and then we did it all over again because we did one field with a new variety and the rest of it was the old traditional varieties. And guess what? The new variety produced three times the yield as the old ones. Right. So my math okay. tells me that three times the yield every year adds up exponentially to a lower yield and it just made sense. So probably already five years after we did our first planting, we ripped it out and we replanted with all the new variety and the yields are stunning in comparison. So, so the, the crops that are put in the ground aren't a one, you know, put in this year and then have no. to sow again, it's right. No. So they're this plant if you take care of it, you will never have to replant it. It You could have a hundred years of production off of it. Yeah, it's, some it, of the old farms in the yeah. States are like that old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these fields right. can go back. Yeah, they yeah. go back into the into the 1800s, late 1700s. There's there a bit of an issue sometimes with purity, like, like when you take cuttings like we did from a previous and then planted them, that's part of why the yields can go down. Like Yeah, I'm not 100% on why that is. Um, the studies all seem to show that if you take growth and mow it and replant with it some of the vine over time it loses its its like mandy said the purity that the dna profile of yeah. it changes mm -hmm. so i'm thinking that it's possible that they get cross-pollinated with other varieties you know like a squash will do that um you know every time a squash two different squashes pollinate they create a new one so it's possible that there's some of that going on but we were seeing the the purest strains of this variety were year in, year out in fields were changing and it was reducing the yields. So we just, yeah, like I said, we, we went with one of the new varieties that was developed out of the U S uh, out of one of their university programs. And, you know, we're comparing yields of 40,000 pounds, you're not doing pounds. So let's say 18,000 kilos yeah. per acre to what we were getting was, 8,000 kilos per acre. Oh, wow. So, That's a big change. That's a big change. Is, yeah. is there a standout variety, you know, like for McDonald's chips, it's normally Pentland Dale for whatever. Is there a standout variety for Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice? I think Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice. It's... Juice is kind of the lower grade cranberries anyways. Yeah, and it's it's made up from all the different varieties, whatever they're, oh, they're called. So sorry, when you're saying ocean spray over here, the only time I've ever seen ocean spray is on cranberry juice, not strictly cranberries. So you're oh, yeah. you're producing you're producing fresh cranberries for ocean spray as well. No, okay, so there are no. fresh, but a lot of have you guys ever tried craisins? They're like a dried cranberry, like a raisin, sort of. Okay. So they're know? like cranberry raisin, very they're like a yeah. cranberry raisin. 
Uh, yes, I will have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a large percentage of that goes into that. Most of our most of our ocean spray will go into that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they do fresh for ocean spray though. Like in this, in, there are fresh farms. Um, and then juice, and then yeah, they do other products. But they don't. Sauce. They don't use one specific variety for for that. There's there's like. I want to say mainstream, there's at least 25 different cranberry varieties that okay. growers are, are shipping into to their processors. Um, so when they when they all get processed, whatever calls, whatever juice berries are left, you know, that's what they make juice out of, whether it's you know one specific uh, variety or whether it's 10 different ones. But the yeah. more quality cranberries go into craisins than into yeah. juice. Yeah. So craisins are higher quality. Got you. So that's that's I guess that's where the confusion started. I, I've only ever seen ocean spray written on on the juice over here. Um, um, it's it's the only cranberry juice we really have. The the cranberry and mango one. Oh my god, I could drink that forever. But it makes me ill. But I could drink it forever. But uh, I flavor. Think, what's that? It's my favorite flavor. We never buy the ocean spray stuff because we actually have our own line of juice. Yeah, we've been, we've been okay. educated on. <laughs> yeah. We, we used to drink ocean spray all the time, but now we have our own juice and we just like it pure. It's like way more tart, but way more healthy. But I buy pure mango juice and then yeah, blend it so with uh, pure cranberry yeah. juice. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. Well, use this time. I don't have a massive following on here, but there'll be, there'll be 4,000 people watch this podcast. Um, tell tell us your, your juice or is it just for yourself or are you not selling it? Oh, oh no. we got a full retail line of stuff. It's actually uh, the last six weeks has been quite interesting. We did a trade show and we picked up a uh, couple big grocery chains here. Uh, we're very interested in our product, um, mostly in the fresh fruit that we we tend to only do on a small scale for the farm markets, the local farm markets. But we're, we're going to actually ramp that up more for retail this year. And with that, they they picked up uh, the other lines of our product as well. So we do a we do a cranberry sauce, obviously, which is kind of, you know, the, the staple that the cranberry is known for is its sauce. We do a cranberry pepper jelly. We do the juice. We do freeze-dried cranberries. Yeah, that's something you probably made. Those are interesting. Yeah. We'll get your address after and uh, we'll, ship you, we'll ship you some of this product because you need to try it in order to... That was still fun. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've just started going into retail with it now and it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's, it's neat to see your product. When you walk down this yeah. uh, grocery store and you see your product on the shelf beside well-established brand names, right? Yeah. That's, that's so. pretty insane. And, and what is, what is the name guys? Sorry. The it's all under the box. Yeah. 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 That's um, like, like our farm called Riverside Cranberries and that's the farm that we started in 2010. But about four yes. years ago, we started to launch our own farm brand, which is the Bog Riverside Cranberry Farm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our farm. So we have we have about thirty five planted acres of cranberries, and we took twenty acres of our fields out of our ocean spray contract, so that we could market the fruit ourselves. Yeah. That also gave us the opportunity yeah. to fool around with some of these these ideas that we had, and some of them are actually growing at a decent pace now. Yeah. Yeah, like BC, so British Columbia, the province that we live in, like for the cranberry industry, like 95% of the growers are in ocean spray cooperatives. So it's pretty much a monopoly on the market here. So 
yeah, like we decided that we wanted to try to diversify ourselves about four years ago, just so that we could, it's challenging, like farmland is probably the most expensive in Canada here. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculously expensive. I'm guessing close, yeah. Yeah, so in order to make a go at it, we had to kind of be creative and we were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta make money any way we can. And we also saw the potential because nobody else was doing it. We were like, hey, there's a, and, there's and, a niche. And for the Fraser Valley is, is world, world renowned for agriculture and we have tons of further processors here. Yeah. So there's there's good opportunity for us to market our own fruit without it even having to leave yeah. the valley, right? Yeah. We're not targeting a large market. We know our market is like our local area. Um, just because like I said it's ocean spray has got everybody tied up. So yeah. Yeah. But you yeah, know the yeah, last cool. maybe maybe yeah, you never know how things go. Maybe you guys is I don't know if you guys are the kids or look, you know, whatever, you never know. You guys might be the ones that is, is bog cranberry instead of ocean spray in everyone's house. Um you never know where things might go. Uh, and, and just just if you are listening, guys, uh, for those of you listening, um, check out the Riverside Bog on Instagram. Uh, it's it's a great page, actually. I've really enjoyed I just came across it. I've been looking for a cranberry farm and uh, it was the first one that popped up and I was like, Grand, let's go for that. And uh, well, thank God, because it's been great. Um, I need to ask two things. <laughs> One's jumping back quite a bit. Um, I still don't quite fully know what's happening when the cranberries are in the water. <laughs> he said, okay, so I, let me help you. <laughs> I'm the one who leads the tours most of the time because he's always in the field. So let, let, let's go from. Okay, so basically what we have to do is in uh, mid-September, we get our fruit checked for to see whether it's ready to go for picking. Okay. So it's got to meet certain criteria for the color and then the bricks, which is like the sugar content in the berry. Yeah, it's and the same strawberry. It, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, so once it's in that certain parameter, well, then we got the green light to go, then we start, first we turn on our irrigation, we shut off all of um, the drainage in the field and everything, and then we turn the irrigation on. We also pump in water because irrigation would take a long time to just go. It takes a lot of water to put. Yeah. Know. We start off with about about six inches. So let's say, let's go back to 15 centimeters for yeah. for those of you. On the, yeah. yeah. So basically the tip of the plant. So cranberries are a low lying vine. So they create like a bit of a canopy, but it's not like a bush. Cause some people think, well, where's the bush? We're like, actually we don't have that <laughs> here. There are cranberries that grow in a bush, but most of the commercially grown cranberries are a vine. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's not a very. Uh, it's about 10, 10, 15 centimeters off the ground. Yeah. So we'll flood it right just to the tips, tips. of those. And then we run the harvester through there, which is. Uh, There's different it, methods. Yeah, it used to be a, a beater style. Have you have you have you watched any of this stuff? Like, do you have Honestly, any idea? Nothing. So okay. little. Apart from the ocean spray advert, nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the so what we call what we call a, a beater is is a, a mechanical means of knocking the berries off. So the cranberry is unique in that when you crack it open, it has four air pockets in it. So naturally, it wants to float. If you take a picture underwater of the berries before they're harvested, they're they're all trying to lift up to the surface. Sure, yeah. So we go along with this special machine that that has a turning head on it, a bit like a wheat combine, right? And it it goes through and it pops off all the berries so they come up to the surface. That's one of the methods. We actually last year bought a different harvester that that is more gentle on the fruit because the, the beater tends to beat berries. Beat the berries. Like you end up with little it dimples. Could bruise them. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, so this one is is unique in that you run it on a tractor front and back, so 
a front end loader tractor you would attach uh, to the to the loader arms and the back you go to the three point edge and it's it just slides along and pops everything off it's That's got these tines, flexible yeah. tines on it that that okay. kind of slide through the vines and releases all the berries and it it does significantly less damage to the uh, to the plants as well so we we ran that last year and i was quite impressed with with how nice that goes so then all the berries float up to the surface. We bring the water up even higher. So now you're looking at about 30 to 40 centimeters of water. And then we have these floating booms. You call them logs. We actually use- um, Kind of like a belt with foam inside. Yeah, there's foam it's in like it. And then it has chain on the bottom end. So it sits yeah. vertical in the water. Right. They use them a lot in, uh, in uh, oil containment. Like if there's a spill in the ocean or something off of a, a, a tug, they will, they'll put these floating booms around it. So that's what we use. We, we corral them all into one corner of the field and then we have a vacuum pump that, that sits in the field and we just feed all the berries down into that. Mm -hmm. It sucks the berries and the water up with whatever debris is in there, which is usually just leaves. And it runs up over top of a, a screen. We call it a trash box. So the water wells up the back with the berries and then it flows over a screen. So the water and the leaves get flushed through and the berries roll down into, uh, into our delivery truck, which is essentially a 40 foot shipping container with the roof cut out of it and a special gates on the back so that we can drop them off at the processor. And there they just- They put it into a pool, which they, is- like Yeah, big, literally they have a, a big retention. pond in the ground, a concrete pit full of water. And you back underneath what looks like three huge taps, like spigots, <laughs> and they dump 10,000 liters of water in your truck with your door open. And it's like 50,000 pounds of cranberries come shooting out in 10 seconds. <laughs> It's quite oh, awesome. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to YouTube this now. I really am. Um, well, so, if, so if you sorry, want to go to our hey, website, we have, we have like an actual video on our website, like right on the header, like in the opening page. So anybody who wants to check it out, RiversideCranberries.ca is our website. Well, do you know, I am, um, COVID's obviously been around for a few years and I'm 25. So I basically finished my master's degree. I went straight through education and then COVID hit. So I've always kind of wanted to travel and Canada has been way up, way up on that list. And uh, basically what I'm saying is I might actually come on your tour sometime uh, and then I can really see it. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get Please do. We got lots of waiters covered. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is that as, as our, as our, uh, called our journey, I guess, from when we started our farm here, you know, the, the decision to pull some acreage out of ocean spray also coincided with our decision to to move forward with with tours and opening up the farm to the public to, to as well to involve people in agriculture, to get them to have a better understanding of where their food comes from, uh, how we how we grow it as farmers, the risks that are involved, because, you know, people get upset when there's product that's not on the shelf, but they don't understand maybe the reason why it's not there. Yeah. And most of the time, those are factors that are well outside of a farmer's control, right? Like weather, like, like flooding, like pests and disease, stuff like that. So, you know, we, we've done that now for, I'm going to say four years. We, we started pretty bare bones and we're slowly building up the infrastructure on the farm. Uh, we've got a little store that's open now during, during harvest. And, uh, and it's, it's been interesting just to be able to answer questions like, like you've been giving us and to talk to people about, about what we do and, and 
to just introduce them because for a lot of people it's it's so foreign to them yes the, the connection between where their food comes from and how it gets to the shelf right they just they just yeah. expect it to be there so yeah and it's it's a thing it's a thing we do over here as well you know uh, i I work with kids in schools. I work with, I do a bit of farm tour guide and that sort of thing. And just getting that that story over is important because people think I should walk into the Tesco or is Walmart in Canada or is that just the States? Yeah. You know, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everywhere Walmart, isn't it? Um, and they just expect the right thing to be there. And it's, it's really not that easy, like you say, Brian. Um, I do have one more question about cranberries uh, because I do like to cook Christmas dinner. I think I've cooked the Christmas dinner in the last three years and mum will be listening saying she basically told me what to do, which is very true, but I'd have a bet. Um, but one thing I really like making is cranberry sauce. And what I do, and this is what I've been told to do, but I, I like to do it, put cranberries in, uh, put some put some uh, mandarin segments in and some port. And that's mm -hmm. pretty much what we do. Just leave it to boil. What else would you tell me? To, how would you make the perfect cranberry sauce without giving away the bulk uh, secret recipe, of course? Well, you have to use our cranberries. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Oh, brilliant. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I don't, I'm really glad to hear you make your own because people who have the cranberry sauce in the can, which is like the ocean that's, spray. That's the jelly. That's cranberry jelly. Yeah. So we're, we like, we make a really simple cranberry sauce. That's the one we have retailing, but I do a lot of specialty ones kind of in the fall. And I did do an orange with brandy one, and that was really good too. Cranberry orange Yeah, and then I've done a cranberry with raspberry and then Merlot, which is also really good. Okay. Um, so there's lots of, we honestly, we try everything. So <laughs> yeah, we put cranberries on everything. My kid, okay, so this is the story. My daughter, she's five. We're baking last week and she's like, I'm like, okay, we're baking muffins. And then, okay, we'll put the cranberries in. She's like, why do we have to put cranberries in everything? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, we are those people. Um, <laughs> I promise we can make some cookies without cranberries in them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I, in fairness, I can, I can sort of empathize with your daughter because we, we had about I couldn't say exactly, but a lot of hens, right? A lot of hens producing producing eggs, and and when when the shop died down selling eggs for a period of time, it was like you know what's for breakfast eggs, what's for lunch eggs, what's for dinner eggs. Do you know I could really go a little snack? There's an egg, you know. So so <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, it's just a red version of my egg egg despise, but um yeah no well I will try raspberry merlot cranberry sauce and I will try brandy and orange cranberry sauce. Um, it's yeah, just going to be about cranberry sauce. Fish. Cinnamon is always a good little, like a hint okay. of cinnamon. I don't know if you want to try that. Um, we just cut the sugar down too, because we like tart. I don't know if you like tart, but we find if you, a lot of the recipes out there have so much sugar in it. And I feel like it just kind of like, yeah. It, 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 hides it, it hides the taste of the cranberry. Yeah. That's, I mean, why are you eating cranberry sauce if, if it's 80% sugar? Yeah. Right? Just eat sugar sauce. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Put syrup on your turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> Use maple so, flavor. So tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's that. You, you guys are, you guys are Canadian. So, do you have pancakes, bacon, and cranberry sauce? We have pancakes with cranberry sauce on it. We do with, with maple. Excellent. Yeah. We do, and we're actually, we're actually. So the unique thing about making your own products is every time you make a product, there's a byproduct. No. So we make juice, sure. and what's left? You got the seeds and the skins. So look for a way to use that stuff. So we actually send it to a dryer and they turn it into a powder and you can use it as a supplement in smoothies or whatever, right? Yeah, or baking. Right. Uh, or baking. 
-hmm. So one of the byproducts of the um, craisin, the dried cranberry, is they press some of the juice out and it's, a, it's fairly concentrated. So a lot of the companies out here are using it to make cranberry syrup and a lot of it actually goes to Europe. They ship right. it out to Europe and, uh, you know, that's, that's another opportunity we have, like to, to make all these different products based on what we're left with when we make a different one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it always intrigues me to develop some of these things and to see if you can find something that's unique enough that people will want it. Yeah. It does cost a lot of money to like start launching something though. So like a lot of the things we do, we just muck around with at a small scale. Like right now for our retail, we have five products, five products yeah. that we're like going like full on with, but the other ones are all like small, more small batch stuff that we do. Yeah. We yeah. might introduce them at a farm market and see yeah. what kind of feedback you get. Right. And we sell our cranberries year round. So. Year round, right. Okay. Yeah. And, and is that, is that the same you can sell everything year round or have you got the storage yeah. for that? Yeah. 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 We built, so one of the properties that we have here, we have two, two different properties side by side. One of them is the original, one of the original fields from my dad and he had two hog barns on there. So he got out of hogs years ago. So I actually took, took one, one of the barns completely apart right down to the foundation. And then we renovated it and we put a, um, the commercial freezers in it and there's a packing room and then our stores in the front of it. And we're going to do the other barn uh, within the next couple of years. We're going to renovate that as well to facilitate more of the yeah, stuff that we're doing. Just, yeah, we're, as, as we're growing, like even on a small scale, when you got to start storing products, right? Like pallets and pallets of products, that takes up a lot of space. So lot, yeah. really, I want to have an area that's designated for that as opposed to having it all tucked into corners of my packing room. Yeah, which right? is going to get really which busy get really crowded once we start fresh season. And, <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, but yeah, the freezers give us <laughs> the freezers give us flexibility to, um, you know, to be able to store some of our own crop, just a small percentage of it. But, you know, it gives us access to our own berries if we need to do another batch of juice or if we want to send some out to get freeze dried. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds. For, yeah, for sure. It sounds like you've got, um, well, I mean, the, the saying would normally be eggs in, in a few baskets, but it sounds like you've got your cranberries in a few bogs, but the sounds of things, you've got a lot of different uh, sort of enterprises on the go and, and, and you know, whether that's cranberry farming, whether that's diversifying into, into your own uh, bog brand, that sort of thing, um, doesn't sound like you're going to struggle. The only problem is going to be that storage when you can get everything to fit in. Um, and labour. Yeah, labor. labor is huge problem here. Like, I don't know okay. if you're aware COVID kind of, so our government decided to help everybody during COVID and they basically, whatever, I'm not going to get into <laughs> the politics of it, but we have major issues with getting labor on the whole. Okay. So we're kind of okay. like, we have lots of people that we will hopefully tap on, but we have to get creative. Like people, there's so many people trying to find workers and there's just so yeah. many people who don't work <laughs> so it's a really weird dynamic last year actually was brutal not for us on the farm here uh thankfully we've got a pretty solid community behind us but some of the blueberry guys out here they couldn't get the seasonal farm workers that normally would come in yeah. from mexico or jamaica or you know some other south american country uh they couldn't even get up here and literally the fruit was rotting in the fields they, yeah, they couldn't was, harvest it. It was it was the saddest thing to see. 
very sad, very sad. And can I just quickly do one thing? I'm going to jump onto my phone because my iPad is just shot down in battery for some reason. So two seconds, and I'll edit this bit out. When was this? This was 7.20. I'll jump on to my phone, and I should appear in two places now, and then I'll shut myself off this one. Uh, yes, got it. Wi-Fi. Right, how to do this video on here we are. Sorry about that guys. Um is this gonna sit? Is this gonna sit? Is this gonna sit? <laughs> um so I better quickly say if you're watching this on YouTube, it probably looks like I've changed because I have. Well, not changed clothes, changed area in the room. Um, my iPad died, so we've had to jump onto my phone. We were just talking about uh, you said, you know, it was it was tragic to see that the, the uh, uh, blueberries rotten in the, in the field and we did a similar thing over here. Um, our sort of uh, our berry markets more on the other side of the country and west coast, east coast up in Scotland, just where we've got raspberries, uh, raspberries, strawberries, blueberries, that sort of jazz and. The, the workers are mainly Eastern European for us. They couldn't come in. Another one was um, sheep shearers from New Zealand. They couldn't get in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a shame. And, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's, you said let's not get into poli the, the politics. Eh, Mandy, it sounds like both your families are in politics. I am dreadful in politics. I know nothing about it. Uh, I'm pretty sure your prime minister is called Trudeau, but that's about all I've got. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much more than that. Um but yeah, is, is that looking is that looking up? Are, is Labour looking to be in a better place or, or not? No. Well, the, the farm workers are coming in now, like the uh, the seasonal workers. So that's good. But but that's not who we get. Like we rely on like just, you know, the local community. I mean, we do have a lot of people we know that we can kind of call on and hopefully that that works. But there was times even last year that... We're both, we pulled our kids out of school. They're like, our older boys are teenagers. We're like, yeah, you're staying home. Yeah. Sorry, we need you. You need you. You're you need life experience like, right now. No. <laughs> well, and our, here's the thing, our oldest son. So when, when, uh, when they shut down the schools here last, last two years ago, yeah. two years ago, I guess, um, you know, he'd sit behind the computer and in two days he's got his entire week's worth of schoolwork done. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you can afford to skip a couple of days of school to help me with the harvest, right? And he's like, ah, but it was more the social side that he was worried about. Like, he likes hanging out with his friends. He likes, he likes the sport, stuff like that. I said, but you know what, man? I need you. Yeah. So, yeah, we, <laughs> we kept him out of school for a day, and then we had our other boy out for a day, and, and then we had all kinds of their friends helping us, you know, these 15-year-old boys. and Yeah, a lot of teenagers. It was it was good. like And, like, ladies who were, like, retired were, like, the regular dynamic of demographics you would think would be the hireable age were not the ones that we no. got. Like no, all those people were just collecting their their we had twenty five hundred dollars yeah. a month to sit on their ass. Okay, Sorry, no politics. politics. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. It's true. And here, I was one of them. I was one of them. Um, I, I can't disagree. <laughs> I, I was also lambing, but I was uh, just taking the furlough. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, and because it's seasonal and we can't say to somebody, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll hire you for the year. Uh, you know, trying to find people for that four or five week period when you're extremely busy can be a challenge, right? Yeah. So wait, what, what time is harvest? Wait, when, when is harvest? Mid, mid September to mid October. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And on our farm, we could be done our harvest in, I'm going to say 10 days if we really like race wait, wait, through wait. it. 
but we we stretch it out because we've opened the farm up for agritourism so we will harvest on a friday and a saturday so that people can come out and see it and then we will leave everything until the next weekend and we'll do another bog or another marsh okay. the next week yeah and that's simply to allow us to plan the tours in advance because it's everything is pre-booked right yeah makes so, sense yeah I'm going to say maybe three weeks before, like beginning of September, we'll roughly know when our harvest dates will start. So then we set our, our tour schedule. And once that's set, unless something drastic happens, um, we usually have time in between fields if something breaks down or goes wrong to fix it. And we can keep to that schedule. So Canadian Thanksgiving is kind of the peak of when people here are really wanting cranberries. Like that is like the peak season. So it's typically like the second weekend of October, usually here. Um, and then there's American. November. Have I got that wrong? That's I thought American Thanksgiving. That's oh, in November. Yeah. So we have an earlier variety of cranberries, which is why people often don't think about it here even in September but ours are ready to go by mid-September usually so we're first to market in that way but we have also the challenge that people aren't really necessarily thinking about cranberries until October so it's a little bit of a weird we're trying to get people to be like hey can but you it's get also <laughs> it's also been good in a way because it allows us to kind of jump into that agritourism slowly as opposed yeah. to opening up your farm and suddenly getting slammed inundated because mm -hmm. you know we're, we're in a rural area here, but we're 10, 15 minutes away from huge populations like urban. of yeah, urban centers of people living in condos and townhouses and, and high rises. Yeah. Um, and they are, they're looking high and low for things to do on a weekend. So yeah, you know, it's a good opportunity for us, but it also, because of the way that we've gone about it, it's allowed us to introduce ourselves slowly, which yes. I'm more a fan of that. You know, I'd rather not drink from a fire hose, if you want to yeah. call it that. Totally get that. It makes a lot of sense because sometimes a lot of people, I know I can be guilty of being one of those, let's jump in with everything I have. And then suddenly, oh, I did that wrong. And then, it's, yeah, so it makes, soft launches often make more sense, often make more sense. Um, listen, guys, I could honestly sit here and ask you recipes for cranberry sauce and how the the system works even though i've already asked you once before and you've told me perfectly because i'm confused and just keep going but it's been really great to to finally find a cranberry farm that i was was willing to chat and well you were the first people i talked to so i mean it's not as if it took me a while but um, it's it's always been one i've wanted to chat to because because like i said uh, we make cranberry cranberry sauce every year here it's a product we use every year and it's it's not really something i knew anything about as i have clearly proven tonight eh, or or this morning for you guys um but uh, i just i want to thank you first off for coming on i appreciate it it's been great to hear what what the riverside bog's doing what the plans are there for the future but uh, there's two things i ask everyone before we finish and uh, i mentioned plans for the future that is one of them where where do you see yourselves in five years and the other tip would be uh, or the other question sorry is if you had tips for folk coming into farming and let's focus on cranberry farming, which would be a really interesting one, what would they be? Well, I can answer your second one first because <laughs> I can't see the future. So I don't know where we're going to be in five years. Um, but the second one being, you know, tips for people who want to get in farming and farming's farming's one of those, it's not a career. It, it's a lifestyle. You, you can't. Well, this is cranberry farming specifically. Is this, you so just I'm, want to know? 
You could do, I mean, do farming as well and then do cranberry farming, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that, that first start was great, in fairness. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say that, that cranberry farming is not that different from any other type of farming. Yeah, you have to have a level of knowledge uh, going into it. You make sure you got both eyes open because there's a lot of hidden things in it that can, can jump up and bite you. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes early on, uh, you know, not necessarily, none of them were intentional. Uh, some of them were, were outside of our control and those, those costs, they always have a cost. You know, I always tell my boys, education is expensive. doesn't matter whether you're sitting in a classroom paying for it or whether it's the life of hard knocks, right? School of hard knocks out in the workplace. It will always cost you money. So, you know, try to limit your, limit your exposure to those. Pay attention to details is key. Yeah. Details is number one. I mean, I'm consulting for a large cranberry farm out here that just did a whole bunch of replanting. And do you remember what the first thing I said to you when you asked me how we build a farm? What was the first thing I said? Ah, I'm so busy oh, trying to <laughs> level fields. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that joke. Oh no, I did know that as well. Oh, I just look silly. <laughs> I thought you meant so at the start of the podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah. So these guys, <laughs> these guys have planted fields of 15, 20, 30 acres in size, and they're not 100 percent level. Can you imagine if you have to add four more inches, 10 centimeters of water to a 30 acre field, how much more water you need? I Don't do the math. No. <laughs> Length times width times height. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. That would take a while. Huge. A lot. It's, a lot. Yeah. So anyways, like, you know, pay attention to details because those details will actually reward you down the road. But trial and error is also a huge part of farming, cranberry farming particularly. I think one of the things about our industry, and that's what I think it's important for you guys to know, is that the way we do it is not the way everybody does it. There's a lot of individual methodology. Um, there's a lot of different factors, and everybody's kind of trying to figure it out. We do talk to other cranberry farmers a lot and trying to be like, hey, what worked for you for this and that, whatever. But it's not like there's a set system. So trial and error is very common. Uh, and like Brian said, it can be very expensive. But if you're willing to look long term, I think farming, you have to have a long term gain. You can game. I mean, you can't like go in there thinking we're going to be successful right away. You have to kind of love what you do. You have to love the lifestyle, like Brian was saying. Like we have really intense times, but then we have a lot of downtime, too. So it's kind of like got ebbs and flows. So if you like that, where you don't have your boss hanging over your shoulder all the time. Yeah, I'm good with that. Farming's maybe for you. <laughs> and you got to be willing to get dirty. <laughs> and again, cranberry farming versus, let's say, um, sheep farming or dairy farming. Dealing with livestock is, a, oh yeah, <laughs> no pun intended, a completely different animal than, than dealing crop with farming. the crop, right? Mm -hmm. Livestock is 24-7. Uh, I, I learned that very quickly on the farm when, you know, you're out there at one o'clock in the morning trying to trying to help a heifer deliver a calf and things aren't going well. Right. Like you, you can't just turn that off. Whereas we can in the winter, we could disappear off this farm for two months and it wouldn't affect our our schedule. Right. So I mean, that, that's selling it quite a bit, isn't it? Work hard for 10 months, party for two. Uh, yeah, brilliant. And and you said about sort of long term game there, Mandy. Um, I maybe asked, where do you see yourself in five years? Which is a tricky question because nobody knows what's happening. But let's say let's change it slightly and say, where would you like to be in five years? <laughs> I 
pretty sure you said Andy there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I, I did, but both of you absolutely feel yeah, yeah. This is, we should know the answer. We've been like planning so much. I feel like we're finally at the cusp of where we're like wanting to be. So maybe that's part of like stably, like how can we manage this and do it well where we're not like stressed out? I think that's the key yeah. for us. We want to be able to like and still enjoy farming and then yet still having this farm brand and all the other work that comes with that. Like we want it to be something that hopefully, you know, is established and then. Yeah, like we just want to find the market locally, and uh, we're we're not the type of people that sit down and and write a, yeah, we're a not list great of goals, planners. right? We're we're not. <laughs> I, we're we're both very similar in that way, right? But we can see when we look back at our journey, we can see the opportunities that presented themselves and and where they took us. So that gives you a bit of, I guess, knowledge when new opportunities come up. Uh, yeah, even, even if you're not consciously making these decisions, your past has already kind of trained your mind how to, how to address mm -hmm. whatever's coming up towards you. So, you know, there's some hard and fast things, right? We talked, I want to, I want to do the other barn, reno that all up. Right. Um, we want to move more into the fresh fruit market because there's, there's a super strong demand for that. Um, maybe I've, buy the neighbor's farm if we can afford it. Like yeah. okay. we would like grow but like brian said we like to grow not in a crazy like we yeah want to grow proportional and i think like brian was saying too being kind of fluid with the opportunities that come our way would be something else because we've gone in a direction that we didn't necessarily see ourselves going but it's been kind of a very organic growth like we haven't you know had to like stick our necks out massively we've been sort of like slowly growing it so i think that for us is and we've maybe... we've met a lot of good people along the way yeah for sure a lot of people that have have come into our lives at the right time that have been very beneficial with their skill set and their knowledge to opening up opportunities for us mm -hmm. so that's that's also pretty important too like don't think that you have to do everything yourself or or can do everything yourself because I'll tell you what, when I planted my farm here, I had the knowledge of when we had planted 10 years earlier on my dad's farm. And I thought I would take that onto my farm and I would eliminate the mistakes that we had made there. No. Maybe <laughs> new ones. And, and again, you know, life's ex education is expensive. And I think in, in terms of farming, it's like, it's almost like you just spend a lot of time problem solving. Yeah, and I think for advice too is like if somebody's interested, it's it's like start small. Like don't think you are gonna be like set right away because sure. it's like it's like Brian said we we made a lot of mistakes, and the journey has been kind of a little bit you know going different directions. There's lots of times where we think we something's great, and then maybe that path no, not going there, right? So it's not like a straight line, but if you start small and you meet people and and you're willing to like yourself out there a little bit because that's another thing we definitely have seek like taking the opportunities that come our path we're like yeah we'll, we're in we'll we'll try it well we'll we don't know we're, we're farmers and we're like marketing our own fruit now you know we're doing a lot of things that were not really in our skill set that we were like ah but yeah you, you live and you learn right so that's a good point i think because you know rome wasn't built in the day why mm -hmm. try be perfect straight away um <laughs> you've got all these projects for me and i'm like hey you know what we've been here for 12 years now uh we're probably going to be here for the rest of our lives like 
doesn't have to happen right now. <laughs> <laughs> How long is that list, Mandy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're with oh, your partner, it gets a little interesting sometimes. Yeah. It does. <laughs> yeah, it's working. It's definitely working. Well, it, it doesn't look like you guys are struggling at all. It looks like it's going really well. But um, yeah, some good tips. And uh, you know, it sounds like when I said where would you maybe potentially see yourself in five years, it sounds like you're going to be doing the same thing anyway. Uh, and and as I say to everyone that says that, I always like to see that because that means they're happy doing doing what they're doing, which is good. Um, so yes, I very much appreciate you coming on. We've spoke for well over an hour. It's been great. Uh, you have understood at least a quarter of what I've said because you've answered everything which with what I expected. Um, so that's been a win in itself. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed coming on. Definitely good. have. Yeah, it's been fun. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your time taking out your morning there. So that's very good of you. For those of you listening, uh, I hope you've enjoyed. It's certainly a different episode of the R2 cast today. I've certainly enjoyed it myself. I hope you've enjoyed seeing just how little I know about cranberries and now hopefully know a bit more because you have to start with Flatland. Uh, so that's that's starting off small, learning the first things and continuing on. I'm also very excited to try my uh, new uh, cranberry sauces. And uh, because I haven't filmed the 57th episode, I don't know what's coming next week, but I'll see you there for R2Cast number 57. And thank you very much to Brian and Mandy. Thank you very much. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Well, that's it. Another R2Cast finished. Another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time. Uh, and it always has done but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required and I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.